It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo's Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is Saturday, which means it's time for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you'd like to be part of today's program, simply dial 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-922. As usual, more news on the table than we have time for, so we're going to pick some of the hottest, best stories, some of the things that perhaps you'd like to comment on. Later in the second hour, we will be joined, as we are every Saturday, by America's Princess of Policy, the one, the only, Princess Di, Diana Me. And we will start today with steak. I'm a vegetarian. Don't eat this stuff. However, steak has been in the news the past few days. You might remember... That liberal elitist, the woman who brought America the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, took Reverend Al Sharpton to the woodshed for covering the Trader Joe's shoplifter that walked out with armfuls, with an armful of steak. She told Sharpton that this stuff is, shouldn't be national news. This drumbeat for continued mass incarceration is really horrific to watch. I've always been puzzled by this phrase, mass incarceration. It's almost as if liberals believe that criminals are all picked up at the same time and thrown in jail at the same time, and so they're mass incarcerated, which is not the case. But anyway... And and then they use this term, this carceral, carceral state, which um, this is how you legitimize the carceral. The, the drum, the the prison system doesn't have to be legitimized, Miss Hannah Jones. It's already here. Liberals astound me. The smarter they are in some cases, and progressives, the smarter they are. It seems to me, the less common sense they have. And I don't know what causes that. And if you're a progressive, and I know that there are progressives who listen to this program, and I know that there are Democrats who listen to this program, as well as conservatives. We we cover every walk of life here on WABC. And look, I'm not trying to be insulting, but I just don't understand the thinking. And so if you would like to have a discussion about it, we don't have to attack each other. We don't have to go name-calling or have arguments, we can actually discuss this. Because I just don't understand the way that people think on the progressive side. Now, today there's a story, another story about steak that appears in the Daily Mail. And it's a really quick story. Walmart, the nation's one of the nation's biggest employee employers, stores everywhere, they have started locking their stakes inside metal cages because crime is getting so out of control 
that a lot of people are coming in now and stealing the steak. So Walmart is locking it up. So yes, Miss Hannah, Nicole Hannah, Nicole Hannah Jones, it is a national story. Despite what you may think, she said that, you know, thefts, the other, she said thefts have always been going on. There's nothing new with Well, it is a national news story. And further to the point, just because if someone comes in and is brazen enough to steal steaks out of a store and just walk out with it, what else are they brazen enough to do? People right now are brazen enough in New York to hit elderly people over the head while they're walking and crack their skulls. Criminals are brazen enough to rape innocent women, to murder people. Criminals are brazen enough to do all sorts of things. This is one of the things that we don't understand about your liberal thinking, why you want to go easy on people who commit crimes. It's like this 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 new DA we have here in New York who thought it was okay to downgrade to misdemeanor crimes where guns are used. It's, don't you understand what that's going to do as a result? Don't you understand the people who are walking and committing these crimes are, are capable of committing other crimes because they have no moral compass? At least if they do have a moral compass, they're ignoring it. And I talked about this yesterday since we're on this idea of progressives not understanding and seem, seeming not to have basic common sense. Brooklyn College, their top administrator, some woman named Michelle Anderson, she's formerly a, a Yale Law School professor. I have never, I, I have rarely in my life encountered another one of these intellectuals who seems to lack all kind of common sense. This woman, who is the head of Brooklyn College, decided that guns trigger people, and so she had the entire security organization that protects the students, the administrators, and everyone else at Brooklyn College disarm. This is what what, what, what a Yale... Law school professor, now the top administrator at Brooklyn College, thought made sense. Let's disarm. Let's just, let's disarm our security force. Well, what happened at Brooklyn College on February third? At Brooklyn College, there was an active shooter alert, and guess what? None of the security forces at Brooklyn College could defend the campus. They had to call in security from five other institutions to try to deal with this active shooter because this woman, this liberal, this progressive, had decided the best policy, the best way to protect her college was to not have students triggered because the security forces over there carried guns. So she got rid of the guns. She's their woke president. This woman, th- this is insanity. This is insanity. This is the kind of insanity that we see from liberals coast to coast that is responsible, responsible for these crime rates in every major city, 
spiraling out of control. And yet, these progressives seem to be proud of themselves. There's another story, New York Times today. Kroger's is under attack. Here's the headline, and get this headline. Business booms at Kroger-owned grocery stores, but workers are left behind. A number of the store's nearly 500,000 employees have reported being homeless, receiving government food stamps, or relying on food banks. Oh, no. It's true. And so I'm like, wow, that's terrible. Kroger's must be just, you know, I mean, who runs Kroger's? Satan? Well, it turns out that Kroger's isn't Satan-owned. Yeah, the company's doing well. They have 27,000 locations. They're brands. They have more than one brands. And I did not know that Kroger is the biggest supermarket chain in the United States. But their brands include Harris Teeter, Fred Meyer, Ralph Smith's Pick and Save, and even Murray's Cheese in New York City. It's a Cincinnati company. Sales is growing. They expect sales growth of 13.7%. Stock is up 36%. But that success, says the New York Times, has not trickled down to its vast workforce of nearly 500,000 employees, a number of whom have reported being homeless, receiving government food stamps, or relying on food banks to feed their families. So I wanted to know. Now, the Economic Roundtable surveyed more than 10,000 Kroger's workers in Washington, Colorado, Southern California, about their working conditions. 75% of Kroger workers said that they were food insecure. Another progressive term. I'm food insecure. I'm insecure. I'm food insecure. What the hell does that mean? I'm hungry? I'm food insecure. I'm not mocking them. I'm mocking the phrase. Meaning they lacked consistent access to enough food for an active and healthy life. About 14% said they were homeless or had been homeless. And 63% said they didn't have enough money to pay for basic expenses every month. So you see, this is Kroger's fault. Kroger is making money. Their stock prices is up, are, are up. Their stocks are up. They're doing great. But yet, many of their workers say they don't have enough money in their pocket. They say they're food insecure. And they say they're either homeless or had been homeless. Well, Kroger's had a response to this, and I'd just like to read you some of it. Kroger? This is from Crystal Howard, spokeswoman for Kroger. She said the report on Kroger that the New York Times is using to attack Kroger is one-dimensional, one-dimensional, doesn't tell the whole story. She says Kroger has provided an incredible number of people with their first job. They've given people second chances, lifelong careers, and Kroger 
She says they're proud to play this role in our communities. Now get this. Ms. Howard added the company has raised its national average hourly rate of pay to $16.68 per hour, and that's up from thirteen sixty six in 2017. That's been a 22% increase. And that its benefits package includes health care, retirement savings, tuition assistance, and on-demand access to mental health assistance. So apparently Kroger isn't run by Satan. They have a pretty good employment package. Now here's what the New York Times, and here's what liberals, these elite liberals, never add into the equation. Could it be that the plight of these workers at Kroger is not Kroger's fault? If you get and you think you're stuck at a job instead of appreciating it at Kroger's, could it be your fault? Could it be that you flunked out of school, maybe? Could it be that you didn't finish, that you weren't academically, uh, how shall we say, prepared to move into a better job? And, I mean, Kroger's does offer tuition assistance. You want to make a better life, go back to school, maybe, and learn some other skills. Maybe Kroger doesn't think that it's appropriate to let's say, for example, pay a cashier $30 an hour when there are millions of other people that could do the same job and are willing to do it for less money. Maybe Kroger's wouldn't be profitable if they decided that instead of being in business to make a profit, they spent all of the profits on employee salaries especially when the market doesn't call for that. Maybe the reason that Kroger's employees, some of them complain about being homeless, are the policies of the Democrats who run these blue cities who who have allowed housing prices to rise out of sight with their restrictions on landlords and their restrictions on development and their environmental restrictions that keep people from building houses. Maybe the problem is high taxes in these blue cities or places that Kroger has operations. Maybe people that are, how shall we say, food insecure should say, well, the hell with this. I'm not going to keep working at Kroger's and go home food insecure. I'm going to get a better job elsewhere. If you're food insecure, if you're worried about being homeless, why wouldn't you leave that job and go to another job? There's an answer to that question. Because you can't get another job. Because you're not prepared. And whose fault is that? Is that the fault of Kroger's or is that your fault? These attacks on American businesses from the left, these continued attacks on American businesses are another reason that Democrats and their progressive liberal buddies need to be driven from office. They have ruined, to the extent that they can, every major city that they run. They make life difficult for business owners. 
the result of their policies are misery for the very people that they claim to represent, and then they point their finger at the businesses and blame them for the problem, and they never blame the people themselves that might be responsible, by the way, for their own plight. If you have to work at Kroger's because you can't get another job, be grateful Kroger's is there to give you a job. James Golden. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We're coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Michael McDonald brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. I keep forgetting is the name of the song. You know, I've always wanted to hear... Michael McDonald and Anita Baker do a a duet. I used to call Michael McDonald, and I love him. Don't get me wrong on this. Don't take it the wrong way. I used to call him Mumbles because it used to take me so long to decipher the lyrics in his his songs. And then Anita Baker, and I love Anita too. I think Anita is the songstress. But I used to have to do the same thing. I mean, listen to the song a bunch of times before I could really get the lyrics. So I always wanted to hear them together. It's just, uh, you know, one of those things. Uh, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerly, with you here. So listen, um, it's also birthday day. We used to get this day off if you were in school when I was a kid. February 12th, we used to have the day off. Abe Lincoln, president, 16th president of the United States, perhaps one of the greatest presidents in our history, and uh, it's his birthday. We used to get the day off. And now it's just all rolled into President's Day because, you know, George Washington's birthday comes up on the 22nd, and we can't have two birthdays for two presidents in the same month. Oh, no. Especially when they were instrumental in making sure, one, that this republic was formed, and the second, and, and, which would be Abraham Lincoln, for making sure that this republic stayed together. So, and all that. And this is also the birthday of one of my dearest friends on the face of the earth. He is an internationally well-known musician. Now, the public may not know his name as much as it is known in the in music industry. In the music industry, he is a giant. His name is Omar Hakim. He is a drummer. He's a composer. He's a producer. He's an arranger. He's an engineer. He covers every single aspect of music. His career, if you look at his discography, covers everyone from Weather Report and Jazz to Sting, that's him on Dream of the Blue Turtles, um, David Bowie, you'll recognize from the Let's Dance album, that's him playing drums on that. Got his own solo projects. He in, He does producing for other people. He's an amazing musician of the highest quality, but more importantly than that, he is an amazing friend and a wonderful human being. So happy birthday, Omar Hakim. 
Best wishes to you. And let us see what else we have. Texas. Tejas. I love this story. Tejas. The Washington Post has their panties up in a wad today because in Austin, Texas, the rejection rate among mail ballots is unprecedented under the what quote unquote restrictive new law. So of course the implication from the story is see these evil Republicans, they put in a new law and now, now we have unprecedented rates of mail ballots being thrown up. They never asked the question. Well, what's the real problem is the real problem that Texas voters just don't have the, how shall we put it, in Austin, liberal voters don't have the intellectual capabilities to fill out their mail ballots correctly? And if that's the case, why not? Do they not understand how to read? Or is there another reason that so many ballots are being rejected that perhaps indicates that they should be rejected? You can figure that out. I'm not going to mention the word fraud or anything like that. I just find some of this news amazing. By the way, be all that you can be. The United States Army, here's a story from BizPack Review today. The United States Army is urging immediate action on a new plan to tackle the biggest existential threat to America. You know what that threat is, ladies and gentlemen? No, it's not Russia. No, it's not China. It's not China's blue navy and armed forces that are threatening around the world in several theaters. No, it's not Russia. It's not these new hypersonic weapons they have. We don't have one yet. It is not all of that stuff. It's what? Climate change. Yes, that's what your army is worried about now. They're not worried about how to defend us. They're worried about how to defend the world from climate change. This is what Joe Biden This is what Kamala Harris, this is what progressive liberalism is doing to America's security. Our armed forces are now more worried about dealing with the existential threat from climate change than they are with the very real threat from China and from Russia. No, no, no. We've got to put all resources in fighting climate change. And this comes after another... uh, report from, it was either the Pentagon or the State Department that talked about our our national security being wrapped around diversity and all these other liberal catchphrases instead of national security. These people, these Democrats and progressives are the existential threat to America. They are doing everything within their power to make sure that every single aspect of American life is being flushed down the toilet. Open borders, porous borders with who knows who coming across the borders at an unstoppable rate. In fact, they're being aided and abetted by the Biden administration. You have these out-of-control crime, this out-of-control crime wave. You have inflation. The economy's going to hell in a handbasket. 
And these people are sitting around worried about climate change and making sure that the Army and our armed forces are more interested in climate change and preparing for that than preparing to defend us against the very real threats in the world. These people deserve to be driven from office with a fury in November. Yes, we have calls. We're going to get to them, and I'm going to calm down. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy on WABC Talk Radio 77. We'll be right back. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Genesis brings us back. WABC Talk Radio 77. It's your Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC. Let's talk about Hakeem Jeffries. Because this is not a misunderstanding. It's not a mistake. Yeah, this guy should be waiting in the rain instead of being in Washington, D.C., now, Hakeem Jeffries, by the way, there was a story about Democrat Representative Hakeem Jeffries. He's part of the Democrat propaganda leadership team in uh, in the House of Representatives. A few weeks ago, Kerry Pickett, uh, Kerry Pickett with the Washington Times, I believe, she, I believe Kerry did a great story on how Mr. Jeffries, while he rails against the rich all the time, made sure to secure himself an incredible tax break so that the taxes on his condo are less than $300 a year. Many of you will never be able to do that. Well, now, Hakeem Jeffries is out saying he wants a massive tax cut for the rich. That was a few months ago. Different tune today. Now, he says, the rich aren't paying their fair share of taxes. Now, he's one of these guys that wanted the SALT tax to be repealed. The SALT tax is state and local tax deductions that gives wealthy Americans in blue states a sizable tax break. He was all for that. He wanted the rich, especially the New York rich like him, to be able to deduct more and more of their money in taxes, get a nice little fat paycheck, As, a, as refunds. That's what he wanted. Now that tax, SALT, if they had repealed that tax, the rich all up and down the Northeast Corridor in these high-tax blue states would have scored like bandits. So he was all for that. Well, that was part of Biden's build back crap that never passed. And so now that that's dead and buried, Akeem is back to the Democrat Party propaganda playbook. Oh, the rich aren't paying their fair share. We need to raise taxes on the rich. If you haven't noticed, New York is struggling right now to get back on its feet, Mr. Jeffries. Instead of suggesting that the quote-unquote rich pay more taxes, you ought to be more interested in how you can build back <clears throat> excuse me, build back the economy 
in New York. And you're not going to do that by driving rich and wealthy people out of the city or the state, the region. Once again, these intellectual liberals and progressives have no common sense. They need to be driven out of office with a fury in November. They are destroying the economy of this country. They are making America more unsafe by the day. They are presenting challenges to small businesses. They are presenting challenges to American families. At every turn you look, they are the problem, not the solution. Let us go to the phones. Diego, let us start with, let's see, Karen from Rockland County this morning. Good morning, Karen. Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. I'm good. How are you? I agree with what you said about Mitch, um, uh, that singer, Mitch McDonald. McDonald Michael, Michael McDonald. McDonald. <laughs> yeah. I, listened, I listened to him in a concert in uh, the Music Hall in Tarrytown, New York, you know, years ago, but I couldn't understand anything he was singing. <laughs> but he's a good, he's got a good voice. Yes, and he does. Him, he's back with the Doobie Brothers, I hear. Oh, Really? Oh, yes, that's, I heard. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I can't, that would be a concert worth going to see. I love the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, as far as the small business, I think uh, when somebody loses inventory or loses their business, I think a lot of the money should come from these goddamn politicians, their salaries and their pensions, because nothing hurts them in the pocketbook. You know, they just you know think it's okay, you know. Because I just heard that the Rite Aid on 50th and Broadway is closing. Yep. They... That's in the radio. I mean, that's terrible. So, you know, some of that money should ta- be taken out of these bastards, uh, you know, the politicians. <laughs> language, language. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. I-, I mean, I'm just so fed up with this of what's going on. I understand. I get it. Listen, Karen, here's the deal. Sadly, these politicians enrich themselves on the very people that they're on the backs of the very people that they claim to represent. This riot ape that you're talking about has been hit with theft after theft after theft after theft. Wonder if Alvin Bragg might go there and talk to the employees there that are losing their jobs. I, I doubt it. Do you think he has to ask for help to get toothpaste like Al Sharpton? Yeah, I loved Al Sharpton. Look, Al Sharpton was making it real, though. And you got to give this to Reverend Al. He knew that he was going to go against the grain when he's telling me, hey, look, buddy, get this under control. They're freaking locking up toothpaste now. This is too much. We've got to do something here. Thanks for the call, Karen. Now, here's what Al Sharpton didn't say. Al Sharpton didn't say for years and years, my party, the Democrats, We have caused this problem. It's getting out of hand. We have to come up with a solution. That's what he didn't say. Brooklyn, Tommy, welcome. WABC, Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurvy. What's on your mind this morning, Tommy? Good morning, Mr. Golden. You are so on point with what's going on in the world today, and you are the man. Thank you. All right, we're living in in bizarre land. Up is down, down is up. If they say one thing, they they said that they didn't say it. And then when it's proven, they go down that they didn't see it. It's crazy. Sometimes yes. I feel as if it's a ploy in order for the elites to make money off of the craziness in the stock market. Well, the elites are making, I'm glad you mentioned that. The elites are making money. Look, Tommy, one of the things that continues to bother me, at, while at the same time I find it fascinating, is with these vaccine mandates. Moderna 
has moved from a company that, you know, didn't have a heck of a track record in the pharmaceutical industry to now being in a position where um, two of their executives have become billionaires. Other pharmaceutical companies are reporting record income from these vaccines. And one of the reasons why is we have a quote-unquote mandate. Here's what I'd like to know. I'd like to know if any of the politicians who support these mandates are going to be rewarded with incredible sums of donations from these pharmaceutical companies, and will the media keep track of that? The mainstream media. I doubt it. Tommy, thank you for the call. Chris, Catskills, New York. How you doing, Chris? Hey, James, got a classic broadcasting voice. Sounds great over the air. Um, I am a policy wonk Democrat who's been involved in politics for 10 years. I was an elected official for a while. I used to work with a county executive who was an ex-Republican, fiscal conservative Democrat, uh, and he cut the county government uh, 38% in 10 years uh, And he reduced the budgets in the county uh, more than $40 million. Uh, What I see, so I've had to deal with a lot of the um, types of Democrats that you're uh, labeling. And what I found is there's a lot of problems going on with this um, grandiose notion that social legislative engineering is going to create a perfect utopian world. Government is never going to create a perfect utopian world. And the point that you were just talking about with Hakeem Jeffries Uh, Governor Cuomo had to talk out of both sides of his mouth at a time because the people that they're chasing out of New York State, they're the types of people that give money to campaigns for state and uh, federal level elected officials, especially people that run for the House of Representatives. They need money every two years. And if you chase too many uh, wealthy, affluent people out of states like New York, you won't have any donors to call periodically to get donations from. And you won't have it, and you're, and you're narrowing your tax base as well. I think people would be very surprised at the relatively small number of wealthy people that pay most of the taxes mm-hmm. in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and up and down the East Coast friend of mine that just moved from upstate New York to Florida and he's he's doing a 51% 49% on his residency and uh he makes very good money he happens to be a republican but um you know touching on some of the things that you were saying before uh there's just not enough policy wonks getting into politics there's not enough people who are intelligent enough to be bringing the potato salad to the Mensa meeting picnics on, on the weekend, you know, and, and, you know, the intelligence level of people getting into politics, it's, it's going down and people have more, you know, I'm a highly educated person, but there's um, you know, there's a difference between having practical uh, life experience type intelligence and having sort of a grandiose theoretical based intelligence. Okay, so let me ask you this, Chris, and I'm sorry to interrupt, because you've just moved into the area that I I asked about. It seems to many of us on the conservative side that these progressives lack common sense. They can't put a causation to their policies. If you don't put criminals in jail and you leave them on the streets, they are not going to change. They are going to commit more crimes. If this, this whole like this Nicole Hannah, whatever, with this and these catchphrases 
uh, the the mass incarceration. What are we not supposed to do? Have jails? Have prisons? What are we supposed to allow? Wanton stealing? These district attorneys that are, are now deciding to um, give criminals a break and let them out. What do they think is going to happen? And so you deal. You're a member of the Democrat Party. How do you view these? Do you view this the same way we view it, or do you? Do you am I off base here? No, I think there, there's a lot of truisms to what you're saying. I mean, you can't. Um, there have to be consequences in life when people are committing crimes on that level. And, you know, you can't look at society as being the causational factor that, you know, absolves everybody from any guilt of anything they could possibly do. That's ludicrous, a notion like that. So, um, you Why know, are you know a Democrat? that is a result of people buying into that notion. And then they're put their they're making uh, policies in our criminal justice jurisprudence system based on that notion. Why are you a Democrat? Well, I get that, you know. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you, James. There's a lot of people on the conservative side. Listen, when I would talk to voters, I would be as a Democrat, I could get a lot of Republicans and conservatives to vote for me. And I flipped a slightly red district into a blue district. And what happens is as more and more progressives move into the area, they don't care about the good work that you do as an elected official. They want somebody that thinks exactly like them. Not all of them. I'll tell you, the highly, highly intelligent progressives that do have logical thinking abilities, they will pick the most intelligent candidate, even though it's not the most progressive candidate. Unfortunately, in the Democratic Party, with the primary system, the way it's designed now, is you have a lot of the far-left progressives will only vote for far-left progressives, even if, even if the, the more conservative or moderate policy wonk Democrat is a far superior candidate. And that's a problem that's destroying the Democratic Party. There is an elected official in Orange County, and they just changed his district, James Scoopis. He's a guy that was in the assembly in a Republican district, and he got elected to the state Senate, and he's, he's young. He got, it, he got, him, he got into the uh, assembly at like 26, so he's only in his like mid-30s. Um, he is a guy that he won his state Senate district two years ago, uh, you know, Trump carried it by like 17 points and he won it by like 12, you know, so he, he would be a perfect example of a guy, you know, look to see if he ever gets primary challenged. Then, you know, the Democratic Party is truly over in New York State. OK, do you think last question, because I got to get to a break. But do you think when you look in, at long range crystal ball, which, you know, I understand can not very accurate trying to look long range. But do you think that the progressives will end up taking over the Democrat party to the extent that they destroy your party? Or do you think that there's going to be a counterbalance to this progressivism? I think it's going to come down to pockets. I think in certain geographical areas in certain States that is going to happen. And I think in other geographical areas, um, maybe uh, more, you know, logical candidate selections will hold. I think, but it is a definite look. I I'm of the type I'll work with anybody. I don't care. I'm waiting to hear a progressive that's a strong policy wonk that is going to present, you know, actual, uh, you know, uh, proposals that will mitigate problems. See, in government, you can't solve all the problems, especially complex ones. You can 
you can mitigate them. But that doesn't mean that you throw the towel in and you don't try. And I'm going to be honest with you, some of the conservatives, I think, are very scary candidates, too. You know, I think they lack intelligence. I think they're kind of kooky. Not all of them, but but some of them. And there, there's I'm not going to name any names or slander anybody on the air. But, you know, it's the, it's it's a very scary place right now in government because everything is being dri- driven by ideological notions that tie in with you know, being a, a label like a progressive or a conservative, and nothing is about being a policy wonk. And Bill Maher is bringing this up for the last uh, year now, and he brought up how um, Congressman Henry Waxman out in California is a really, really strong policy wonk. He invited him on his program a number of times, and he always gets back to him and says, I'm too busy to come on. And he Henry said, Waxman, you know, here's where I, I part company with you. Henry Waxman was a partisan hack. He was one of the biggest partisans when he was in Congress, and his rhetoric was so hateful that if he, even if he is a policy wonk, as you say, was overshadowed by the hateful rhetoric that this man employed on a daily basis toward the other party. And I, would, I wouldn't watch Henry Waxman have anything to do with him. If I had a choice, I saw that man's face on TV, the first thing I'm doing is hitting, the, 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 hitting another channel. I'm not going to even look at him. Um, but here's, Chris, what I really, first of all, I really love you. The call, your reasoning, your ability, your, you say you want to work with other people. You've demonstrated that with your career, the way that you think. I happen to, I think that policy wonks are great. They actually make an effort to understand policy and the causation of it. I'd love to hear from you on a regular reoccurring basis, Chris. If you're if you're up for it. Yes. And it sounds like, you know, a little bit more about Henry Waxman than I do. I'm just basing that one episode. I saw Bill Maher from a year ago. So, you know, you got to try and take in as much information as possible. So, I'm, um, you know, I I don't know all that much about his uh, life's work as a congressman out in California. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the call. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly with you. WABC Talk Radio 77. We're back right after this. Knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Jackie Wilson brings us back on 77 WABC Talk Radio New York. Cousin Brucey comes up later tonight. Listen, Music Radio WABC is here on the weekends. Keep it here. All weekend long. And speaking of that, let me do a few moments of shameless self-promotion here. We have some podcasts that are rocking the house, folks. If you go to WABC, all the podcasts, you'll find podcasts taken from this show. But if you go to WABC Radio's website, wabcradio.com, You will also find podcasts now that are being created by the Apple Media Group. And those podcasts are everywhere. They are on uh, iTunes. They're on Spotify. They're on every single podcast platform that there is. I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately. We have one that we released this week. I urge those of you who are science geeks or who like science, a generalist interest in the cosmos, whatever, to take a listen to it. We have... As a guest host with this with me, 
Dr. Michael Gillen. Now, this man is incredibly brilliant, and I'm so excited to be with him because he's an astronomer. But not only is he an astronomer, he's a mathematician. He's maybe one of the only men that's been to the North Pole, South Pole, and to the wreck of the Titanic. He used to be with ABC uh, TV, both um, for Good Morning America and also Nightline. He was ABC science editor. He's won so many Emmy Awards. He's incredible. And so he and I have teamed up to do an, a podcast that we call Science is Golden. That's one. On the Border is with an amazing reporter. His name is Todd Benzman. He's with the Center for Immigration Studies. We have uncovered, Todd has uncovered, the United Nations role, and it is significant, in driving illegal immigration into America. And it is shocking, the things that are going on. Todd goes not only into Mexico, he goes to the other southern border in Guatemala. He actually talks to people that are trying to enter into the country illegally. He talks to some of the organizations that are helping to fund this immigration effort. It is shocking. The level of organization behind driving illegal immigration into America, and it is not being covered by the mainstream press. On the Border is another one of the podcasts that we're doing in coming weeks. We will begin another podcast on cryptocurrency and the new economy that's growing around that. This is not a fad, and I don't understand it. So I'm going to be speaking with experts who do understand it, and they can explain it to all of us. We also have a very, very special podcast that we launched yesterday. It's for Valentine's Day, and it is music. It is a very special Golden Valentine's, and you can find it all of the podcast platforms, but WABC Radio has it, and it is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, and my niece, Tashayla. We put together a, a playlist, a music playlist that we know or we hope that you will enjoy tremendously and that you can play for Valentine's Day and snuggle up with the one that you love. Or not. Just put a candle on if you're by yourself. <clears throat> so anyway, those are some of the podcasts that we have. You can also reach me at Twitter, and that's at Bo Snurdly, and Facebook, at Bo Snurdly, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y, on both of those. And so much for the shameless promotion. Let's go to the phones. Susan, Brooklyn, New York. How are you, Susan? Well, I'm always good when I can hear you. And I'm going to listen to your podcast all day today while I'm doing boring things like laundry and <laughs> cleaning. <laughs> but listen, that last caller, with all due respect, it was speaking gobbledygook. What uh, do you mean? He said that, what? What do you mean? Well, he's saying, oh, well, the government can't really solve problems. It can just mitigate them. Well, if that's what they think, no wonder everything, nothing, government is the worst um, programs, hospitals, schools, everything. Because look what Donald Trump did in three years and Ronald Reagan, because they know cause and effect. He came, comes in, Trump comes in, and he says, look at um, all of these regulations. 
these are tying the hands of our um, of our businesses. He repatronized all that money, and just like inflation, it, this is not really that hard of a concept. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Mm. So if you keep putting more money into the economy, and you tie the hands of the um, distribution and production. So inflation, I mean... People, I'll give you another one, happen. Susan, to your point. Yeah. Build the wall. Build the wall. It was simple. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. You know what? When the wall started going up and then also enforcement was stepped up, what happened at America's borders? And crime and everything. Drugs and everything right. that goes along. Right. 13-year-olds smoking... Um, think they're smoking marijuana, which is bad enough, and dying because of fentanyl. That's what happens when you have these people that don't think you can solve problems. Yes, we must prioritize. But the truth of the matter is people, as Milton Friedman said, people working in their own best interest have the best effect on society. So when you take that incentive away because they don't even work, which doesn't give them the dopamine to see their uh, attempt, their achievements. You see, we're, this is just very Susan, let me ask you a real question. Susan, you're brilliant, and you're sitting and you quote Milton Friedman. Time is running out. Tell me a little bit about your background. How do you come to this knowledge? When I was 22 years old, I was hired to be a, um, a, a stockbroker at a, a major investment firm. We didn't have the internet then. So my little skull full of mush, as as Rush used to say, I had to sit in, I did a lot of doodling, but I did sit in these uh, long meetings with analysts. um, And every now and then something stuck. And then I could see it in real action. Like when Ronald Reagan took over, I was became a stockbroker when Jimmy Carter came in. So I saw 20% interest rates. Wow, that was really affecting a lot of people. And then I was saw what with what Ronald Reagan. Now listen, all the good Republicans used to be Democrats. Look at Rudy Giuliani. Um, <laughs> uh, well, not all of them. And, and look, well, we're out of time, well, Susan. I love your call. Thank you, and I, and we love it when you call in. Listen, folks, we've got another full hour to go. The princess of policy, our very own Diana Me, will join me. In the second hour, we are going to take more of your calls, 800-848-9222, 848-WABC. And we have, my friends, more news to discuss. We have not discussed the Canadian truckers. There is a surprising op-ed from a liberal site that I would not expect. Yesterday, the New York Times editorial board came out with tepid support of the Canadian truckers. We'll talk about Canada and so much more when we get back in our second hour. Don't you dare go away. We're coming straight back after the news. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Thank you, Jacqueline Carl. We appreciate the news and the traffic. 
James Golden with you here on 77 WABC Talk Radio 77. Listen, uh, if you want to be on the program, 800-848-WABC is how you do it. 800-848-9222. We have the Princess of Policy coming up shortly. Events are moving in Canada to the north. Apparently, the Canucks are not going to wait much longer. Police, this is according to the CBC website, Canadian Broadcasting. Police are moving in on Ambassador Bridge blockade after the injunction deadline passes. Windsor police say its officers and quote-unquote policing partners, end quote, have started enforcement at and near the Ambassador Bridge. We urge all demonstrators to act lawfully and peacefully, the police said in a tweet. They also advise people to stay away from the area. So apparently the police are moving in and they are uh, going to do what many feared would happen, which is police enforcement. And people are worried about that because they don't want this to turn into a violent Episode, of course. So we shall see how this plays out. There is an editorial that I found surprising because of where it was, more so than the content of it. The headline of this op-ed piece, Stop Calling the Truckers Racist. Many black Canadians support them. This was in Newsweek. Dot com, And it starts this way. Liberal politicians and mainstream media corporations want you to believe that the trucker convoy in Ottawa is racist. The first line of attack on the truckers was to focus public attention on bizarre, still unexplained images of horrible Nazi and Confederate flags being waved at the protest. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau can barely do a press conference these days without mentioning racism. And Canada's Socialist Party, the NDP, even brought a legislative bill forward to ban particular symbols of hate. This is a story of a country that got through this pandemic by being united and a few people shouting and waving swastikas does not define who Canadians are, Trudeau told lawmakers recently. They're wrong. The author of this piece says, it will be uncomfortable for some to read this, but the truth must be said. We have no reason to believe the majority of truckers in the convoy are racist. In fact, appropriate for the month of February... The trucker convoy is actually a black history moment. Countless trucker convoy participants and supporters are black. A popular Instagram account with over 60,000 followers has documented outpouring of support that the trucker convoy received from members of black communities across Canada. And the author goes on to say he's seen dozens of other black Canadians 
sharing videos and pictures demonstrating their support for the convoy, many of them pushing back against the divisive racism narrative being pushed by Trudeau and the media. You can find the full op-ed, and it is worth reading at Newsweek.com. Now, moving on and back to... I'd love to hear what you think about the Canadian trucker protest. By the way, yesterday in France, who I affectionately call our allies, the surrender monkeys. And I say that with all due affection. There was a protest that was inspired by what's happening in Canada. 350,000 people gathered in Paris to protest these COVID mandates. 350,000. I've just been uh, sent a a tweet, a text, I'm sorry. The op-ed editor of Newsweek is Josh Hammer, who is very much a conservative formerly of the Beck organization. He's been working diligently to bring fairness to that publication. So maybe not so surprising that this op-ed appeared there. There's an article in The Hill Another one worth reading. Here's that headline. Americans are leaving New Jersey. In droves. It doesn't say in droves. I'm saying in droves. And let me read. Let me read. I'll give you the headline, then I'll tell you my translation of it. Americans are leaving New Jersey and heading to South Carolina, Florida, and Vermont. Here's the way I would do it. High worth New Jersey residents are fleeing the high-tax state of New Jersey and relocating in South Carolina, the free state of Florida, and the socialist state of Vermont. Well, and it's not just New Jersey. The article begins, and this is in The Hill, Americans are moving out of states like California, New York, and New Jersey. They're headed south. Blah, blah, blah. And it goes through the states. And there are a lot of states that are inbounding these people that are fleeing the liberal blue cities and states, including Vermont, South Dakota, South Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon, I wouldn't want to go to Portland ever right now. Idaho and Rhode Island. This is what happens with tax policy. Americans are on the move. We're going to go to a break really early in a moment. But I do want to touch on one of the story. <clears throat> and I'd like to get your opinion if you care to comment on this. This story was uh, from NBC News. Deportees say they were beaten back in Venezuela. They're asking the U.S. for a second chance. Okay, and so the long and short of it is, after being expelled by ICE through the Dominican Republic, several Venezuelans say they were mistreated when they returned to Venezuela. 
They've left again. They want to try to get U.S. asylum one more time. Now, I'm not going to go through the details of the article because that's, this article made me think about something, and I want to just run this by you. What would have happened to America if George Washington, if Thomas Jefferson, if George Mason, John Hancock, if all the founders had said, you know what, we don't like what's going on, King George is cray-cray, we got to get out of this joint. And they left and went to another country. There would be no America. One of the things that I wonder about when you look at what is going on in Mexico, when you look at what's going on in Central America, South America, even when you look at Cuba, Americans paid a high price for independence. And I just wonder if people fleeing to come to America instead of staying in their own countries and mounting the fight for freedom and liberty in their own countries is the best way that to affect change. I don't think we're ever going to see freedom and liberty spread into countries again like Venezuela. Venezuela, by the way, used to be free until the socialists took it over again. Hugo Chavez and that ilk. But look at Cuba. Look at the other states in South America. Look at Mexico, for heaven's sakes. Unless Mexicans are willing to fight for Mexico, how are they ever going to get rid of the institutional corruption that plagues that country? Unless Venezuelans are willing to fight for Venezuela, how are they going to ever get rid of that corrupt socialist regime that has taken over their country? Unless Cubans are willing to fight for Cuba, how are they going to get ever, ever to get rid of those commies that run that place? How do you get rid of these tyrants unless you're willing to fight them? That's my question. Now, I may be off, and and look, violence, I understand. No one wants violence and war. And I would not like to be perceived as a person that's advocating bloodshed, war, violence. It is all evil. But tyranny is evil as well. And if our forefathers had not stood up to the tyranny that was coming from cray-cray George, America would not be free. If our forefathers had not stood up in the Civil War, many African Americans and others would not be free. Freedom is not an easy thing. And so I'm wondering if if the residents of these countries, the citizens of these countries, are unwilling to fight for their freedom and liberty. How are these nations ever going to be free, is my question, I guess. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, coming back with the princess of policy, Diana Me, right after this. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time where America bows 
before the princess. <laughs> it is time, ladies and gentlemen, where Her Majesty graces us <laughs> with her thoughts, which become our commands. It is time for our princess, Princess Diana, our very own Princess Di. Welcome, Princess Di. How are you this morning? Well, thank you, Sir James, the Knight of the Golden Order. So happy to hear your voice. Well, thank you, my dear. So listen, um, we have selected three stories for analysis this morning. And... Do I sound like a nut job this morning? Not at all. I am always so happy when you uh, push the button on passion and you just, you know, kind of unleash the real inner Sir James. And it is always wonderful because you speak for the rest of us and you have such power in your uh, words and your rhetoric that it is just so appreciated, appreciated out here. Well, thank you. I'm not looking for, I wasn't looking for, you know, but I I just, sometimes I just think that, you know, like when I, these, Diane, that woman that was using the, the, the language, by the way, and she said, I'm just so frustrated by all of this. And that's how I feel. I think we all, it's like, how can these people not see what they are doing to this country? Oh, they do. I think it's purposeful. And I think they completely underestimate the, you use the word fury, in your last segment. I think that the powers that be, the elites, underestimate the fury that is growing, and there are signs of it everywhere, and they're always surprised when we express ourselves at elections or in, say, truck convoys or any of those things. They're always so shocked, and I think that that we're going to shock them in November and elections following. Well, that's a good place to start because New York Times... Uh, last week ran a, a huge story for them. You know, their reporters now are usually not capable of writing any more than one or two pages. But this one was actually a doozy. How can Democrats stop a red wave? Now, you never see articles anywhere in The Hill, in, in, in Politico, in The Times, or the WAPO about how can, how can, how can Republicans win? <laughs> how can Republicans, free? here's how they can win. Here's some advice. Hey, Republicans, do this to win. But you always see this in these places. How can Democrats win again? How can, how can we win even though it looks terrible? So what was that New York Times article? How, Diane, how can Democrats stop a red wave? I think this is the most hilarious piece I've read. This was from last week, February 1st, and it is basically what the media has come to be, which is advice to the Democrats and prophecies that the Democrats are just fine and they're going to win. And it's basically uh, magical thinking and pixie dust. But let's just list the seven ifs that this piece says has to happen for Democrats to win. And they are all hilarious, except for one. And um, this is the thesis that everyone else may think a red wave is building, but what if it isn't? And here are the seven ifs that these two authors, Blake Hounsel and Leah Ascarium, say have to happen for the Democrats. If, here's number one, if Democrats can get Biden voters to show up, (laughs) 
that's the first if. Because after all, Biden beat Trump by more than 7 million votes, they say. So therefore, all, all, all Democrats have to do is get these voters to show up. So that's the first if. Oh, yeah, okay. That's easy. <laughs> this, the second if is if America regains a sense of normalcy. Ah. If, <laughs> if inflation could be down to a manageable level by the summer... <laughs> How is that supposed to happen? By wishing? This is why it's magical thinking in pixie dust. This is their second if. If Wishing and hoping. (laughs) Remember that song by Dionne Warwick? Wishing and hoping and blah, blah. I mean, that's what this is. Yes. If Democrats could enter the midterms as the party that defeated COVID and brought the economy roaring back to life. This is this is what they're basing on stopping Republicans on this if. Well, yeah, if if Democrats could do that, they would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your... Okay, here's the third if. If Biden finds a winning message. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's found one. He's found the winning message, Diana. Don't don't laugh at that. Biden has found his winning message. You know what it is? Crack. No, crack not pipes. the crack pipes. That's that's Hunter's winning message. <laughs> Joe's Joe Biden's winning message is the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. But Joe, they're headed to the Ukraine. But the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming right now. Maybe even during the Olympics. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole nother subject. Well, this uh, the New York Times says that the president is finally recognizing his superpower, which what? is empathy. His, his superpower? Empathy. He can't even stay awake. What the hell superpower does Joe Biden have? Empathy, because he cares, supposedly, except when he's scolding the media and he's scolding <laughs> the rest of us and calling us all names. And the other thing that... Yeah, that's right, Diana. I have empathy for you, you bull Connor Republican. That's right. (laughs) You want to put these black people back in chains, don't you? Yeah, I have empathy for you. Yeah, Yeah, and I don't want to send my kids to a jungle school. I don't want... Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. Yeah, oh, oops. That was a former Biden comment. That was, that was, yeah, that was Biden before he started calling other people the racist. When he was actually not afraid to be the big racist himself. Oops, I digress. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Okay, so number three, if Biden finds a winning message and they say he should embrace solverism, which is solving problems. So that would be his winning message. Of course, he hasn't solved a single problem. He has created thousands of new problems that we're all feeling in the economy and in crime and and all of the other things that he is supposedly helping America by destroying America. So that is number three. That's not going to happen. Number four is the only one on this list of seven that they have potential if redistricting is more or less even. And so I don't know if you followed this story, but the Democrats are fighting tooth and nail in these redistricting fights, which are held in court, which, of course, is their, you know, happy hunting grounds. So they've been able to battle Republicans who typically take a dive on these fights because of past court rulings. But on redistricting and on gerrymandering, the Democrats have been having some success. It's not going to be enough to save them. So 
that's the only one on the list. That I'm going to come back to that because I have been following yeah. that story. We can talk about that. But that's the only one that they actually have some potential. It's not going to have any uh, a winning potential for them. The uh, number five is if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, they think that they're going to be able to get the Democrat voters out in the streets. However, they did know, these New York Times writer, that in the past that in the Virginia race, the governor race, that wasn't an issue and they expected it to be. Democrats expected that to be a voting issue and it wasn't. So that has gone quiet, actually. But if the Supreme Court does rule on that, that could probably make some activists even matter. (laughs) But the number six is if Republican candidates go hard right, because we all know, according to them, the Republican brand is toxic. Republicans (sighs) are Republicans in this editorial bringing up 
their old uh, lie that there was a connection between Sarah Palin's pamphlet, which had little X's over certain districts she was was uh, fighting, and the shooting in Tucson, Arizona, of Representative Gabby Giffords by the nutcase Jared Lee Loeffner, who who had no motivation of politics whatsoever. So there was no connection. They happened six months apart. But the New York Times, in an editorial, connected those two after the shooting by the Bernie brother at the baseball practice. So this was a complete mess. The talking points on the left are always to blame Republicans when something is negative for the left. And so the editor included a sentence which basically accused Palin of inciting murder. And he wrote the word incitement to describe how Palin's political record was linked to the 2011 shooting, which it wasn't. So she saw this and sued. And the the whole lawsuit has been making its way through the courts. It's finally in court now. And the jury, as you say, got the final argument last week, and they are in deliberation. They are expected to issue a verdict next week. And if it's true that Palin wins, which, you know, it looks like she might, because her case is pretty strong, that this was deliberate, that this editor injected all kinds of statements in there, even though their own fact-checkers said, no, don't do it. So the the piece that you reference in the Washington Post basically is claiming that this was sloppy work. That's all it was, was just an honest mistake. This is they're using the Sandy Berger defense. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I put the documents in my pants by mistake. And, (laughs) folks, that's real. Bill Clinton's guy, Sandy Berger, who we now call Sandy Burglar, took classified documents, stuffed them in his pants. And when he got busted, he said, oh, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to stuff these documents in my pants and walk out of the National Archives. And his socks and whatever. And the entire media came to his defense. Oh, that's just Sandy. He's sloppy. He's, you know, absent-minded. And he just puts things randomly into his clothing. And so the Clintons just absolutely made the case, and the media helped, that this was just sloppy work. And they always fall back on that when they can't defend the actions. And that's what this article in the Washington Post by Margaret Sullivan does, basically saying, well, it's just, uh, yeah, he put the word incitement and he did all these things and changes and ignored his fact checkers just because he was under deadline. He was under pressure. He had so many things going on. I mean, the, the defense in this article is amazing because they're saying, well, it was deadline pressure. Well, this event happened in 2011. So there was no time pressure for what he was writing. He came up with it because that is a leftist talking point. They believe it to this day. And so he said what he said, and he meant what he said, and And it is a smear. And therefore, if the, the media can no longer smear Republicans or smear conservatives, they will have nothing to write. All right. Last up, and we're running out of time quickly, the Biden administration thinks you're stupid. And this is a, a a story about the crack pipes. Now, I'm going to just go to the nuts and bolts of it. Look, we got the reports. The Biden administration, part of their funding is going for crack pipes. The left went on a tear with their fact checkers 
claiming this wasn't true, which is the basis of this article in the in the uh, Washington Free Beacon, freebeacon.com. The Biden administration thinks you're stupid. So yeah. run that bias real quick, Diana. Well, it just started on the 2nd of February or, or the 7th. And, and that was when the article came out by Patrick Howe which was the Biden administration to fund crack pipe distribution to advance racial equity. And you went with the story that day. I yes, think I you did. really advanced that story. I think that because I had seen the reaction, people online were sort of commenting on it mildly. But when you, you got really passionate about it and when you went nuclear, that thing flew around and all of a sudden it went viral and there was 24 hours of silence by the Biden administration. And really, it became a problem for them. They had no answer until two days later, when all of a sudden, uh, HHS secretary ruled out any use of funds for crack pipe. So they changed their policy. This is something that liberals have been doing for generations. This, this helping addicts be addicts distributing clean needles and all that. This has been going on for decades. And this is part of how they think that this is how you address a social problem by making it easier to have the social problem. And they have have no contact with common sense at all, as you were describing before. So they were completely shocked, completely caught unawares when people reacted like, are you kidding me? You're giving crack pipes to crack addicts. What is wrong with you? And And they have... Then their fact checkers stepped in and claimed none of it happened. Diana, we got to run to a break. I'm going to do more on this story, and we're going to do some more on this story. Because these use of fact checkers by the left is dastardly. These people, these fact checkers are lying every chance they get and just covering for liberals. I agree. And plus, this is is the intersection of common sense and liberalism, which rarely happens like this. This is an instructive story. And I think that the homeless issue and the addict issue is something that is really going to hurt them in the midterms. That's Diana Mee, Princess of Policy, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Sternley with you. We got to go for a break. We're coming back. More of your telephone calls as we continue. Don't go away. Bo knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Jackson Brown, Dr. Meowise, Dr. Meowise. James Golden here with you on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's head right back to the telephones. People have been waiting, want to get to them. Let's start... Right now with Woodstock, New York, and Tony. Tony, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. What's on your mind this morning? Hi, James. It's so nice to hear you. Yeah, I'm calling from the liberal bastion of Woodstock. And I have to say, I enjoy your show a lot. I never heard it before. And I I disagree with Diane about the needles and stuff like that. I think it helps people more than hurts. But that's not why I'm calling. I'm from Venezuela. And I, although I'm liberal Democrat, I totally agree with you on Venezuela. Uh, I was there till I was like 18 years old, and then I moved away and I went back and forth on business. And I have watched the entire episode trans, trans, um, sort of, you know. You watched all of this, yeah, my, transpire mm-hmm. before my eyes, and you know. Oh, I did a bunch of TV shows. I had a public access TV show in Manhattan called What Really Matters NYC, and I did a bunch of shows. 
raising money for the Venezuelans. I even explored, you know, shipping arms to them, but I couldn't find a legal way to do it. But in the end, you're right. They have to stand up for themselves. They just can't keep coming up here. And over and over and over again, they failed. And over and over again, they're stuck with Maduro. And he's a, 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 a drug-dealing thief. And, you know, I don't know what to do, but I think you're right on the point. They should stay there and fight because unless someone blood sheds some blood, nothing is going to change in that country, man. Wow. And, you know, I, and I know you're not advocating bloodshed, and that's not what you want. But these tyrants, I mean, these tyrants take power by force, and they, t- and they enforce their, their tyrannical regimes by the threat of force. And America became free because when King George Cray Cray sent his red, his, his, his red army over here, as it were, the Redcoats, and remember, they were the biggest army in the world at that point. And the biggest navy. Well, France also had a huge army. And by the way, most Americans don't know that America was just one theater in that war. After our our revolution was over, that war continued. But anyway, the point is that we gained our freedom because people here were willing to fight for it. And I'm just wondering what is going to happen in these Central and South American countries if no one is willing to stay there and fight for freedom. Saddle River, New Jersey. John, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Good morning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that your article, uh, I'm in the process of moving from Saddle River, New Jersey, which is, talk about Shangri-La in life, to uh, and a lifelong resident born and bred in northern New Jersey to uh, Florida. And it's because a couple of reasons. Number one, I completely disavow the way this governor has held uh, his uh, dictatorship, if you will. That's number one, first and foremost. Secondly, Are you talking about uh, the COVID mandates and all of that? Yes. yes. Okay. And then the fact that the kids are still wearing masks when there's not one study that actually statistically significant uh, uh, shows that the masks make a difference, especially in schools. But that's another topic altogether. But number two, um, this state no longer, at least the leadership here and the, the legislature, don't have uh, our values at hand. Um, they no longer espouse our values. And number three, I want to live in a state where uh, my vote for the presidency makes a difference. Uh, I think there's, this, this state is in an abyss. Uh, they're in financial ruin before the governor was here. Uh, and now with their socialist agenda, uh, certain uh, laws that they put in place – I mean, New Jersey, a lot of people don't know this. New Jersey is only the second state behind California, or I should say California, uh, that mandates law, by law, that children at the age of five start learning about social justice and LBGQT. And so I think at the end of the day, think about that. We're going to teach a five-year-old. We start with a five-year-old. That's that's outrageous. I know. And that's in outrageous. Florida, actually, there's a bill now to prohibit that. And instead, and in fact, the bill says, if you go into the bill that's being proposed, it says that that these kids are too young to get any of that kind of sexual stuff, whether it's hetero or not. But you know what the press is calling it? They're calling it the, uh, the don't say gay bill, which is a total misrepresentation of what's in the bill. And so um, you're absolutely right. I mean, five years old, three years old, they start talking about transgenderism. Really? These kids' brains are not ready to be wrapped around that stuff. It's insane. 
And this is one of the things that I keep asking. What is with liberals that they keep and progressives that they keep bringing this insanity before us? John, I'm glad that you've made a decision to do what's best for you and your family. I think you're going to love Florida. I hope you do. When you get down to Florida, keep calling us and keep staying in touch with us. And you're going to join tons of other New Yorkers who live now in the free state of Florida as opposed to these northeastern states that are just blue. we got to go to a break. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Sternley, coming back. More calls right after this. The soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. W-A-B-C. Talk Radio 77 New York. Let's head back to the telephones with Rick in Manhattan. Rick, how are you? Uh, good morning, Mr. Snurdly. I'm fine, and I'm just calling to say that you are obviously a brilliant man, a highly educated and successful man, but I would just hope you would display a greater degree of compassion to your fellow Americans. There are people like yourself, Mr. Snurdly, who have everything that human heart could desire. But it is also true that in our country there are many people who do not. And when you made reference to people stealing steaks and food, people, Mr. Snurdly, do what they're compelled to do. Everyone does not have the blessings that you do. And I would just say this. In his inaugural speech, Ronald Reagan uh, referred to our nation as a shining city on a hill. He got that inspiration from the speech that was made by the pilgrim leader, John Winthrop. And in that speech, uh, the pilgrim leader, Winthrop, the Winthrop Doctrine, made this declaration that in order for this enterprise to go forward and be successful, we must first be faithful to the God of our fathers and second, faithful to each other. We must have love and compassion for our fellow Americans, Mr. Snurdly. And I would say, I would hope that we must make their joys our joys and their sorrows our sorrows. We must be true to each other, Mr. Snurdly, fellow Americans. And uh, God bless you. Uh, I agree with you politically. But please, Mr. Snurdly, uh, a, a little more compassion for your fellow Americans. Okay, Rick, hold on. Don't go away because I want to respond to that. Rick, thank you for a very well thought out call and a call that is historical in nature and, and historically true. But let me also suggest, Rick, that you need to have a little bit more compassion towards some of your Americans. You need to have a little bit more compassion for the Americans who own businesses, who cannot afford to have thievery become commonplace. You mentioned being faithful to God. The commandments against stealing didn't come from James Golden. I didn't come up with that. God came up with that as a way for human beings to live with each other with at least amount of friction. Now, Rick, in this country, we have more compassion, and James has more compassion for people that do not have means. And by the way, I do not have everything that a heart could desire. You don't know what my struggles are, just as I don't know what your struggles are. We make these assumptions without really knowing. But here's the deal. Um, We have more compassion for people. If people are hungry, Rick, they don't have to go into a store and steal. This is America. They can apply for food stamps. They can apply for everything. They can also knock on a neighbor's door and say, can you spare? They don't have to resort to stealing. And when we make stealing and thievery 
commonplace. We're also inviting everything else that go against the commandments of the very God that you recognized. Okay? So it is not a lack of compassion. I have compassion for all kinds of people. And and I do things in my private life to demonstrate that. So for you to assume I don't have compassion is misplaced. But you should have more compassion for the owners of these stores that are being set upon with these burglars, with these thieves that sometimes are violent. You should have more compassion for the people that that, that are the victims of this thievery, including your fellow citizens, than for the criminals. It is not me that determined that criminals should be locked up. This was common in biblical times. It was common as a way of life from them. The things that we should tolerate as a society are really clear, and the things we shouldn't tolerate are really clear. And we do that so that everybody can live the most productive life. The other commandments, don't kill. Don't go around committing adultery. Don't work. All of these things are meant to make mankind what it should be in its best state, not its worst state. And it is not in, it is not compassion to give countenance to these things instead of standing up for what is righteous. Rick, I'll give you the last word. Well, Mr. Snedler, you have confirmed something we suspected from our initial hearing of your conversation, you are indeed a brilliant man, but I would recall in the earlier portion of your program, you made the statement, should we have no prisons? And when you said that, Mr. Sturdley, what recalled, what came to recollection was the statement made in the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Cow, when Scrooge, upon being queried as to whether he would make a donation to the poor, said, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Yes, Mr. Snurdy, you're right. Men who commit crime and commit crime habitually are hard men and must be dealt with in a severe and harsh fashion. But we live in a country today where people are crossing our southern frontier without the benefit of any documentation and being given checks and living quarters as they come into the country. When we have Americans... Americans, black and white, men who have even fought for our country, sleeping in the streets. Amen. Uh, and you know what, Rick? Rick, I got to stop you here because time is short. We got other callers. I love you, Carl. You're going to have to continue this. I agree with that, Rick. You and I are a lot more on the same page than you may think. Thank you for the call. Love you. Love the call. Please call us back. Apollo Beach, Florida. Mike, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning, Mr. Snurtley. Good morning. I discuss about the truck drivers. If they really, instead of getting in trouble by blocking their trucks in the streets, just go home and park them, go on a vacation. That'll shut this country and Canada down in a heartbeat. I drove for over 40 years, and you couldn't get two guys to agree on anything. Now that you got a group banding together, they could do right. But just go home, park your trucks, and go on vacation. That'll hurt this country and Canada. Whoa. Mike from Apollo Beach. The solution? I'd love to hear what other people, especially other truckers, think about that. Mike, great intellectually based call. Wow. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Let us go to Kurt in Staten Island. Welcome and thank you for holding. Good morning, Mr. Snurdly. 
Hello? Good, good morning, Kurt. What's on your mind? I, I was thinking, you know, earlier you, you, you were talking about uh, you know, Al Sharpton. Listen, I don't have a whole lot of great love for that man, but I think what he said about the toothpaste thing is being grossly misinterpreted. All right? I don't think he was focused on toothpaste, but on shoplifting in general. And the fact that these little items that are so easily shopliftable have to be locked up. I think you are 100% right. And I just cannot believe that other intellectual liberals are attacking attacking Reverend Al on this. I just yeah. think it's remarkable that all these years, let, let me just say what my problem is with this, if you don't mind. We have had years and years and years of the rap music industry promoting criminal behavior. And guess who was silent? Old Reverend Al and all the Democrat liberals is this trash and filth was spread all over America and the world. And now we are reaping the results of generations who don't see anything wrong with criminality. And now that it's affecting him and his toothpaste is locked up, all Al wants to talk about criminality. Okay, welcome to the club, Al. You're late. Kurt, thank you for the call. You were dead on point. Appreciate that. Let us go to Frank in Boston. Hello, Boston. Frank, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Thank you. I, I hope your blood pressure is coming down a bit. <laughs> you, you, uh, really, that, that was too much of an attack. I think you do a wonderful job. Too much of an attack on who? On you. Oh, and, okay. And I... Uh, by, by that man, man that time, even though he said everything was wonderful, then then I thought uh, I thought your response to him was absolutely fabulous. Oh, thank you, Frank. Okay. I appreciate that. So, now what's I'm on my, your mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I'm on my mind as I believe that you did the Black History Month uh, little one minute st- uh, statement about Jackie Robinson. Yes, uh, I thought, I'm sure it was just handed to you, but I thought it was unfortunately written into. Two ways. First of all, there's a misprint at the end where you say Jackie Robinson is the first one, and someone is named, you said, since 1984. It must have been one of those Cubans who looked white who played in the major leagues a little bit in 1884. It was 1884. Right. But even more more importantly, they they stopped when he got to the major leagues. Nothing about that he was the first he was the first black Hall of Famer and even more importantly, afterwards a chock full of nuts, he and his wife Rachel both were leaders in civil rights and in, in saying to Here's all the Americans, problem with trying to do trying to encapsulate people's life in one minute. You can't get everything. And the and every point that you raise is absolutely correct. Jackie Robinson was an amazing man and hero and he and his wife were instrumental in the early days of the of civil rights activism and uh, you know let's i'll see whether it can be amended and i thank you for your call that's a good that's a good point i appreciate that let us go to goshen new york and ronnie ronnie welcome wabc time is fleeting that's why i'm trying to get as many as possible hi ronnie what is the point you want to make Oh, real quick, boy. The first thing I tell you, I love you. You you got the rush touch. Every time I listen to you, you get me all cranked up. You get <laughs> me thinking you. about things. But um, to what you, when you first uh, came on the air, I thought this was interesting. You were talking about 
uh, the liberals letting people out of jail and well, we don't have to go through that again. I just happened to see this article this morning on the Fox website, and it says Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten's parole bid denied again. Now, this woman committed. I don't know if you have to go through it with your audience uh, who she was. She yeah, was she the, was part of the Manson, Manson family murders, the, exactly. the Tate LeBlanc murders. The, She's been in yeah, jail she since did, she, she was a teenager. 19 years old. The woman's 72 now. She looks like a shriveled up old lady. I understand she's been a. I'm not. It just seems incongruent that these liberals. Oh, and also, by the way, uh, um, our buddy, um, uh, the governor of California. Gavin Newsom. He didn't. Yeah, he denied the parole. So Let me comment on that real quick, Ronnie, because time's running out. Oh, you raised a great point. Here's the deal. Gavin Newsom also denied, even though the parole board said it was okay, they wanted to let Sirhan Sirhan, who killed Robert Kennedy Jr., Senator Kennedy, out of jail. And there have been many attempts for Leslie Van Houten to get out of jail. But you know what? These are high-profile cases. And they would underscore, if they were released, how lawless in, in, in the perception would be that California has gone completely slow. So, in a way, Sirhan Sirhan... And this Mansi fam- family lady are paying the price for liberals letting the other criminals out of jail. They're not going to be released because you have to keep some criminals in jail. Why not them? Okay, so extravaganza, quickly rounding down. Thanks for the crew. Everybody that supports the show here and works on the show, we thank you for, your, for all of it. You make it happen each week. James Golden, we'll be back on Monday, 4 o'clock. Be here. Now, two things. New York, three things. Greatest city in the world. America, we are the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed. Last thing, a prayer. God, please give your blessings and protect each and every one of us as we go through this journey. See you later. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.